sell until she understands what's behind it. Why have you asked me? She believes you'd know. Her husband came here with childish ideas. Bought himself a gold claim with me and honest broker. Claimed pinches out, which will happen. But he can't take that like a man. Has to blame somebody. Sellers left camp, so he picks up me. Says he'll bring in the Pinkertons if I don't offer restitution. I had to help the operation here, and I didn't build it. Brooding on the right and wrong of things. And I do not need the Pinkertons descending like locusts. So I bend over the tenderfoot cocksucker. Reconnoiter your claim fully, I say. And then, if you're still unhappy, I will give you your fucking money back. And the tenderfoot agrees. Just as he's finishing his reconnoiter, cocksucker falls to his death, pure fucking accident, but up jumps the widow in righteous fucking indignation. Wants the doctor to examine him for murder wounds. My visions of locusts return. I see Pinkertons coming in swarms. Commissioned by the widow, who I recognize is grieving and has better intentions probably than to hold on the truth. How's the innkeep come to make the offer? Underbidder on the sale I brokered still believes in the claim, even though the gold is pinched out. Oh, this camp's expanding. We've already had one hotel close. He sees the property as real estate. Chicago comedian and illustrator Sarah Sherman. 
She's the bleeding brains behind the monthly atrocity known as Hell Trap Nightmare at the Hideout. They'll actually be coming to Brooklyn on 420. Yep. You heard that right. Keep an eye out for tickets or keep an eye out for getting fucked. I can't believe it's even real. Anyways, what did you think of the intro this week? It's supposed to be like noise music but less annoying. LOL this has taken pretty long already, and I don't feel like letting Sean even get a word in edgewise. So, let's do the fucking theme song and get straight to the interview. Kisses and hugs. Have you ever seen the soccer film Ladybugs? Welcome to Human the Abject. Happy 2018. Hello, happy 2018 to you. How, how are you? I'm pretty good. I decided I'm going to get um, ripped in 2018. Like sw- so this, you're getting swole? Yeah, like I'm getting swole. Jacked. I'm getting jacked. How is the weather in Chicago right now? It's really horrible. Every day I think about how I don't have to live here, but I kind of like the self-flagellation of living here. Being like, you know, you in New York had no idea the kind of shit I go through every day. Yeah, <laughs> like, I understand. I grew up on Lake Michigan, so I understand. Are you from Chicago? I'm from Traverse City, which is like diagonal uh, across the lake in Michigan. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. I know I know the lake affects snow and the wind. It's pretty, pretty raw. Yeah, it's literal violence. It's crazy. <laughs> but you, you grew up around New York, right? On Long Island? I grew up on Long Island. Yes, I did. What was that all about? You know, it was just, I was, you know, very repressed and mad and confused, but didn't know why. But, you know, looking back on it, I have a fondness for Long Island now that I didn't have because there's, you know, a kitsch to all like my Jew upbringing. And it's funny to me now, but it took a while um, because I was still... I was mad for a while that I was from there. And now I'm like, shut up. You had a great childhood. <laughs> when did you relocate to Chicago? Um, I went to college at Northwestern. And then I just kind of stayed around here. Um, what were you studying at Northwestern? You know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I did like the theater major thing. And then I was like, I hate this. And then I did the art history thing. And then I was like, oh, this is worse. And then I did like creative writing for fiction. And then I was like, well, this is even worse. So I just kind of, yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. Every time I lament about how I wasted my college education, my parents get really fucking mad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you were at, uh, when you were at Northwestern, were there opportunities to perform comedy in there or did that come later? Um, yeah. So unfortunately I did that thing where, um, I was doing improv for a really long time and I was like a hardcore improv girl all in college and a little bit in high school. Um, except like, you know, I didn't know I hadn't found myself yet. And I was doing like, I was doing fucking improv with, you know, private research university kid so I hadn't figured it out no one thought I was funny I didn't think I was funny so it was a good four years of like 
truly, you know, trying and failing. Uh Um, And then I kind of, you know, and I just let, it was a lot of like letting uh, white improv boys in hoodies, you know, define my self-confidence for a while. Who would wear a hoodie to an improv performance? That seems... Oh, that's the thing. You got to have like a slight scruff. You have a hoodie over a flannel shirt and you're instantly an improv boy. Interesting. I didn't know that there was a uniform, but that does kind of make sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple minutes before we hopped on Skype to do this interview, I saw that you tweeted, I want my final moments to be documented on a podcast that gets ultimately 12 plays. And that's all folks. And I just want to know if I should <laughs> be concerned about anything. Um, you know, you shouldn't because I'm pretty sure your podcast gets thousands of listens. It gets so a pretty, this is not-, not to brag, but it gets an okay number more than I think, yeah. more than I think it would. <laughs> I told you, I was really flattered that you asked me to be on it because you've had just like literally people I, I'd a lot like worship on it. And so I'm like, oh, I get to be next to Alex Tatarski and Ruby and you. Well, I found, you, like, inter- I found out about yeah. your stuff because of those people like through them sharing it with me and things. So it's a God, it's a cool little network angel. of stuff. That's cool. Um, right off the bat, I wanted to talk about your monthly Helltrap Nightmare. And if you could yes. describe for my listeners exactly uh, what it is. Helltrap Nightmare, the way, like my, th- I always just call it a freak show. It's a traveling freak show of like horror comedy and, um, I used to say horror comedy and noise music, but now it's kind of evolved from like kind of whoever we want to play. It could be metal. It could be a punk band, uh, but just, you know, freaky loud shit. And, um, and you host it and I host it. Oh yeah. And it's me and the shrimp boys are like the in-house sketch team. Oh, yeah. who, are the, who are the shrimp boys? I've read about them. Oh, the old shrimp boys are <laughs> my friends, Luke Taylor, Wyatt Fair, and David Brown. And they do um, bizarro sketch comedy about, you know, utterly debasing themselves as, and emasculating themselves, uh. whether it's about, you know, anime culture. They just really uh, poke fun at uh white boy culture the sh- in their sketches the shrimp boys i like that the shrimp boys yeah 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 yeah. so this next sketch they have for our upcoming show is about like uh it's making fun of like uh board game culture or like magic the gathering oh, shit. yeah pretty funny <laughs> how long has hell trap been going on Helltrap, I think it's been, I think, two years. So I graduated, like I said, I went to Northwestern, didn't know what I was doing, was really putzing around. Uh, when I graduated, I felt like I was let loose. So I had just started doing stand up. So, and so we started it in the basement. Um, we were figuring out because Chicago's got a lot of freaks, and I was trying to get them all in one room. So we started it two years ago, and it moved from a basement to now the hideout. Um, was it in a basement it, because of music culture was already existing there, or was it just convenience of a space that existed? Yeah, um, Chicago has an amazing DIY scene, and I had started doing stand-up after college at noise shows mostly, so that was kind of what I knew. And 
Hell Trap started as a kind of an excuse to get noise artists and comedians together. One, because I was lazy, because I was like, I want to go to noise shows on the weekend, but I also want to do stand up on the weekend. How can I just make those two people who would never interact be forced to be in a show together? Yeah. Um, so that's how that started. That's, that's um, funny. Uh, Brett Davis, who I talked to a little bit ago, he started uh, his comedy opening for punk bands in Jersey. Just be- oh, that makes complete sense <laughs> to me. That's awesome. That seems like a right place to start. Um, and so how did you connect with the hideout? I, I haven't, I've been to Chicago a ton and I didn't actually know about that venue until I heard about your show. And I'm just curious what the venue's like and how you decided that that was going to be the home base for Helltrap Nightmare. You know, we started um, doing it at the hideout because the booker there, our friend Sully, who now has become sort of like a producer adjacent type character. It's like a very intimate kind of like houseboaty type space. Like it looks like a houseboat. It's all wooden and there's like, you know, like a hanging fake swordfish on the wall and like (laughs) old pictures of people drinking beer like 40 years ago. Um And he kind of, ever since he started booking there, wanted to get more freaky shit in there. And over the past two years, both Helltrap and there's this other comedy show, uh, experimental comedy show called Late Late Breakfast. Um, They were bringing all these comedy weirdos to the hideout and it's got low ceilings and it's like a tight space that can fit like 200 people. So it's kind of perfect for comedy because it's a big ass basement. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, you're, yeah, actually, exactly. It's like a big ass basement. So the hideouts actually become it used to be more of like a kind of folksy, like primitive finger picking guitar music space to now just like all kinds of music and a bunch of comedy programming. That's cool. Um, and they're the best because they like they're huge into like you know, it's going to sound sappy, but like encouraging community, fostering community. And like they host a bunch of like lefty nights, like DSA will have cocktail hours there and shit. So it's great. Is it a, Um, is it like a, a proper bar? Is it more of like an alternative space? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bar that, so that's another great thing about having it there too is like you'll just get bar regulars who just go there to drink beer. All of a sudden they're like a big fan of your comedy show. That's cool. That's really it's great. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, and I understand what you're saying about the um, thinking that it's sappy to say that a space supports community just because it feels kind of like a bankrupt term, but it really isn't. Yeah. It really isn't. It, and when you right. and when you get everybody together it, and it creates a space for people to do stuff, it's pretty special. I mean, it's great. It's the. I mean, I really owe everything to the hideout, and I mean that's kind of a cool thing about Chicago is that because there's no kind of like evil leviathan you know, corporate moving up the ladder in comedy or mostly in music. I mean, there's kind of a, there's a lack of quote unquote, you know, capital I industry there. So there is such an emphasis on community and encouraging your peers and friends within your like community to do shit and try new shit. Yeah. Cause you're only, yeah. There's a, there's a very, uh, I mean, you know, I guess I'm a little nostalgic for it just being from the area, but that, that's a very Midwest, I think, sensibility. Yeah, that is something that uh, I really enjoy about cities in that area, whether it's like Detroit or places like Cincinnati or Chicago or right. even maybe like Grand Rapids. I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time there, but you know, it seems like sure. people yeah. just kind of put stuff together. And while it could be a little bit frustrating that there's not, like you said, a capital I industry at the same time, it also creates a much more, I think, organic playing field where it's not 
constantly looking over your shoulder to be like, you know, is uh, is an SNL person here, or am I, exactly. or am I gonna get a commercial gig or something like that? To, and I think I do a lot of overcompensating for the fact that, like, I probably have a lot of repressed jealousy or like <laughs> um, self consciousness for the fact that I'm like not in you know I'm not in New York doing all the fucking fancy shiny glittery shit. I don't have any credits or anything like that, uh, but you know, I always brag about, I'm like, Hey, at least I'm not, you know, I don't feel creatively stifled because I feel like there are big <laughs> eyes watching me or anything like that. No. But I do a lot of overcome. It's a lot of projecting, but mostly I'm like, Chicago is an amazing place to foster your like voice and find your identity as a creator or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Do you, um, <clears throat> speaking of overcompensating and projecting, yes. no, I was thinking about the, <laughs> the aesthetics of Helltrap Nightmare and just kind yes. of how, how specific and tight that is, even though it's like got that, it's very much got the DIY spirit, but it's so consistently good. And I mean, I've, I've only experienced it through video documentation, but it looks great. And I'm curious where you pulled, uh, the aesthetics from like, right. So the, um, the aesthetics, like the gooey intestines and guts and like bleeding buttholes and shit that's very like chicago diy and me being like well fuck this i wasn't able to do whatever i wanted in college and now i'm gonna do everything i want visually comedically whatever in one show and so i kind of all like funneled that into hell trap but like to be quite honest and this is gonna sound you know i'll probably call you in the middle of the night and ask you to cut this out <laughs> but um like being a fucking you know theater major and like having to deal with like tight ass, you know, steampunk stage managers in the theater and whatever. I really like one of, and actually Ruby will talk, kind of talk to you about this too, about like, there is something, the one thing you can learn from theater is like keeping that shit like tight and like, you know, hosted well. And just so bringing that like crusty disgusting uh chicago basement diy shit and making it like a tight well-run well-produced show is like you know something that hell trap kind of jacks off to the idea of. yeah well i think that's something that i'm always attracted to which is when something is either so ridiculous or obscene or abject, but somebody has spent so much time and care making yeah. sure that it's done well, that it becomes, right. I think it becomes twice as funny because the, the comedy lies oh, in that. Well, the action of someone spending the amount of time to get really good at putting something on that has like bleeding buttholes or right. pizzas with hairy nipples or something on it, 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 like to the nth degree is I think, um, much funnier than somebody just doing an offhand, you know, nasty joke. It's like you sat down and you spent time constructing this. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a lot of me reacting to just coming up with this like low effort, low commitment improv shit and just being like, well, why am I here right now watching this show? Why am I, I could be do doing anything else. And why am I here watching this? And it's like nice when someone puts like, you know, they, rip their skin off putting effort into something and I also am always just like feeling guilty about like making people come to see anything so it's like no I swear to god I'm working my ass off to make sure that like you are not wasting your time as an audience member or a pair of eyes that's looking at a poster yeah. also the posters act as like a good trigger warning for the show yeah they kind of set like, the tone 
Yeah. I would say to say the least. Oh my God. I just got, um, because I'm on my laptop talking to you on Skype, instead of just looking at you across the table, I have all these windows open and I just got a pop-up from Google Chrome to let me know that Hefe25 commented on one of my YouTube videos, this song sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's that's how you know you're doing it right. I know, that's been a recurring thing that I've talked about on here is that I only only get thumbs downs on my YouTube things, I think because I don't present them as meaning to be art. I just put them up without any context. And I think he's commenting, I can't see the full thing, but I think he's commenting on my fake introduction for True Detective Season 3 which is my most view- my most viewed video and it's like i think it has like 46 thumbs down and like w- one thumbs up and a bunch of people being really mean to me in the comments and it's like this is a joke but how do you how do you react to stuff like that i think i have a certain um i have a lot of i don't know i just have a i have a a privilege in knowing that i'm not going to be attacked that it doesn't bother me but i actually wonder that about right. other people like i have a lot of friends who They'll do stuff for, um, whether it's Comedy Central or something else, and and it's primarily for a web audience, and so they'll put it on their YouTube, and it'll be, you know, just something that, you know, some guy who grew up in Iowa doesn't think is normal, which is, let's say, like a group of gay guys talking or something like that, and the comments on them are so brutal, like... Very uh, specific about the individuals and what they look like and things like that. And that that actually freaks me out. I can like I personally have somebody's like this song sucks. It's just like you're not even coming for me. You're just being a dick versus like I'm always worried about my friends who put stuff up who, you know, are actually in bodily danger every day and things like that. That, Right. That actually tweaks me out a little bit more. Um, That was a bit of a tangent. Sorry for that. Um. No, it's not because I kind of, while you were talking about how those negative comments don't really affect you, it just made me think about how similarly with, I, I think maybe we're similar in this. I may, a lot of everything that I make is reactionary and bizarre. So I know that, you know, most people aren't going to like it just from the nature of, you know, yeah, not everyone's going to like looking at a bleeding butthole. I get it. That's why I make it. I get it. It's why. But I, because I'm a stand-up comic, I so badly need people to like me that it like genuinely affects me and puts me in this like bizarre double bind where it's like, I don't want to fit into your fucking, you know, boundaries, man. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm a comedian and I desperately need your approval. So mm. I'm constantly waffling back and forth between that kind of stuff. It's a eternal no that makes Uh, sense and i think actually now that you just said that i'm thinking too that what this person is commenting on i'm getting to also hide behind this veil of irony because it's clear that it's clear that this person thinks that it's an actual like fan tribute to Uh, to, like create the true detective theme song it was a part of like a long performance that i did where that was just like the intro and was obviously meant to be incredibly dumb but i I think that they think that it's sort of like um like fan fiction and so I get to be extra like, you dumb fuck, you don't even get that it's a joke or something. But right. um, but I'm also probably just doing that as a defense mechanism because I desperately want them to actually like it, even if they don't know that it's supposed to be a joke. Yeah, obviously we'd all shrivel up and die if we didn't have that kind of self-talk. Like. <laughs> um, I, I was going to um, ask you about your costumes, too, in addition to the aesthetic. And mm. do you make those? Do you collaborate with somebody on those? Where do they come from? Uh, uh mostly unfortunately just buy um cheap spandex suits on amazon and then just paint on them and so you can't wash them so they've been on like 
you know, 50 shows with me on tour and wherever and just smell like complete armpit sh- gar- diarrhea. Like a soccer like, bag. Yeah. Literally a soccer bag uh, that's 3,000 years old <laughs> and then put in a pickle jar. Um, so you do... But sometimes... You use them yeah, more than what? once. They're not just a one-off. Oh, you can, yeah. You can, yeah. <laughs> Too much blood, sweat, and tears goes into those. Mostly, you know, fake blood. But... um. Sometimes I, the, our, my friend Molly, who performs as Glam Hag, which is this bizarro performance art character that like will pull devil Satan babies out of her vagina on stage and like cover herself in jello. She's awesome. Um, she called me one day and she's like, Hey, I made this suit that's covered in, uh, like beanie baby dicks. Do you want to wear in your show? And I'll be like, I'm honestly honored. I'm honored. <laughs> it's like when a, when a really great screenwriter writes a thing with a certain actor in mind and then, you know, tells them later and says, I wrote this part for you. Yeah. And you're like, I'm touched. <laughs> My, I, that happened to me once. My friend was like, I wrote this part for you. And uh, her name was Sarah. And her one line in the whole script was like, uh, I don't think the script passes the Bechdel test. And I'm pretty sure the stage direction said like naggingly in italics. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm traumatized. Um, well, what's the process for you of organizing uh the monthly show because i've looked at the lineups and like i said i've gotten to see a lot of videos and they feel really sort of um and i'm sure some of it has to do with other people's calendars obviously but they seem really Mm -hmm. sort of uh like a composition of a song or like a sculpture or something like they're put together in these kind of ways that you're pulling from a lot of different um for lack of a better term mediums like people who do different Mm -hmm. things or are really different and i'm just wondering what that juggling act is like or if you have months in advance you know who just has to be together or if it's more just kind of uh intuitive um okay that was very nice of you to call it a song absolutely i'm weeping (laughs) but uh a rock opera Oh, it's the rock opera. <laughs> it's a rock opera. Um, the usually, well, kind of going back to what you were saying about or asking about uh, my costumes, I kind of like to think of the way we describe Hell Trap a lot of times is like, it's like entering a Pee Wee's Playhouse of body horror uh, and walking walking into the world of Hell Trap is like a living nightmare. So uh when we book the show it's more like we'll see someone doing something really interesting in chicago whether they're you know a stand-up a performance artist a sketch comedian and we'll ask them be like hey can you do that crazy bit you did where you wore a milk carton on your head and gave everyone in the audience scripts to fake heckle you like my friend jack bensinger did um or and then you know once we have that booked then we can be like hmm so would this night be better with like uh harsh noise or would this be more of a punk night or we'll do it the other way around where i like got to book this band oozing wound which is like thrash metal band in chicago and then i'm like wouldn't it be funny if we had this like hyper femme lineup with this like hyper mask (laughs) aggro metal band so then we get like my friend, you know, Megan Stalter to do her PowerPoint about um, dancing to Santa baby and like squishing her boobs together and covering herself <laughs> in whipped cream. Um, well, you got to do a push and a pull, you know, you got to do a little bit of both. Yeah, I do a push and a pull. Well, it sounds like the, um, it sounds like the, 
night and all the things kind of around it are pretty site specific to Chicago. Um, and that it was a sort of born of that community and that scene. And I know that you took it on the road this fall and I, I want to know how, how were the dates in other places? Were people receptive to this kind of insanity? You know, I think people were mostly confused because (laughs) we're going to like all these places and we would book a muse- a local musician to get people to come. Yeah. And we would bring ourselves, me, Scott, the Shrimp Boys, and Ruby. And people thought they were just showing up to like a noise show that their friend was in in a basement. And then we'd be like, haha, but we're clowns. We're going to do a little comedy. And I think people are always, you know, and that's kind of the cool part about Hell Trap. Okay. I, I just said the cool part about Hell Trap. Okay. That's fine. But yeah, that's fine. You should the, be proud of your children. I know. It's I'm a Jew. It's hard for me to not feel <laughs> guilty about everything. Um the, we the cool thing about booking a noise show that has comedy is you get all these noise dudes who are like crossing their arms yeah. in a basement who've never, you know, showed an ounce of vulnerability in public in their life. You're getting them to uncross their arms, laugh a little bit, not take themselves too seriously, have a good time. Um, the idea so, of the idea of Ruby performing for a bunch of noise dudes just made me smile pretty big. That's a <laughs> it is, and it's a it's a little bit of a struggle because you have to work yeah. to get them to like you. So it's kind of cool. Um, I think did Ruby talk to you about our show in Joshua Tree, right? She did talk. I was going to ask you about it too because she gave me like a yeah. little primer on what the vibe was like, and I was curious what your take on the show was. And for anybody who didn't listen to Ruby's episode, I'm sure they because you you performed at a place in Joshua tree that ironically was also called hell. Oh yeah. It was called hell. So hell trap nightmare at hell. It was absolutely perfect (laughs) and not perfect in a lot of ways, but it's, you know, cool fucking Bushwick ass transplants living in the fucking desert, Uh you know? So there was a lot of crossed arm bros with their motorcycles and their dogs. And they're there for their friend's album release show. And surprise, surprise, they had no idea that their uh, cool, hot friend's album release show was going to be prefaced by like an hour of like weirdo comedy. (laughs) And like, I... uh, I don't know why if I'm self-punishing or I think, you know, I have a martyrdom complex or what, but like getting people like begging on your hands and knees, working your ass off to get people to laugh who don't like you on the outset is like incredibly rewarding when it works. And then sometimes it doesn't and you just have to like, you know weep into a jar and then throw it in the ocean no it's fun it's really fun to like beat somebody who doesn't want to laugh i I mean to to win somebody over and to just get them to kind of take themselves slightly less seriously i think is really fantastic and it sounds like that's the kind of desire to do this in the spaces with noise music and stuff at the beginning is just to kind of get people to um maybe just see the comedy in their own community or their own scene without I mean there's a difference between making for sure it's not making fun of something to satirize it necessarily or to be funny in a context doesn't mean that you're disrespecting everything 
No, you're like destroying all your enemies, vanquishing the noise bros that have their arms crossed. And you're like showing them like, yeah, fucking noise is funny. That's why I thought of putting them together in the first place. My friend Jill, who does Force into Femininity, was like shaking a bag of crickets in front of people's faces. (laughs) And everyone's like, yeah, this is obviously hilarious and genius and amazing. I think making, I mean, I think making jokes about noise music is one of the funniest things that people do on Twitter. I think, Oh, it's amazing. I love noise content. I think it's very funny. It's also very niche and weird and only speaks to like a specific type of person who would even find that funny. Cause you have to understand, I think the you have to understand like noise music and the people that populate that scene in three dimensions where like you both love them and you right. kind of are like, oh my gosh, you're ridiculous. But that's like anything. You know, I felt that way growing up playing punk music or, I mean, skateboarding is like that. Anything that's this kind of fringe thing is almost always both fantastic in that it creates a subculture, but also so goddamn funny. Yeah. And like what you were saying about it being making fun of noise music being fringe and niche and whatever. But then you see like a meme account like Wolf Eyes Psycho Jazz (laughs) and it's like billions of people find that shit hilarious. You know, (laughs) I remember I kept threatening that if Donald Trump won the presidency, I'd start a noise band and (laughs) I didn't do it. But I started a podcast, I guess, which is kind of like podcasts are sort of like the the books on tape of noise music. I would say that this podcast is a noise piece oh, because thank of what the you. sound causes. Thank you. <laughs> and then you get some shrill Jew to like yap about it. Like my voice is noise. I talk, <laughs> I talk to a lot of Jews, interestingly. Well, it's a comedy podcast, so it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I have talked to so many people. The thing about being feeling guilty because you're a Jew has been brought up so many times. <laughs> yeah, I'm literally obsessed. <laughs> And I hated Jew camp because I was mercilessly tormented. Uh, All the kids would circle up around me, and the girls would do this, like, bullying chant. Uh, So let me know if you guys, like, recognize this at all. It probably happened to you at camp. It'd be like, break, ball, waterfall. Girl, you think you got it all, but you don't. I do. So poof with that attitude. Peace, punch, cat, and crunch. We've all got our pussies touched. Bang, 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 choo, choo, train. No one will ever touch your taint. Reese's Pieces, Your body's weird, you stupid fuck. Loser, loser, double loser, whatever. As if even Freddy got fingered, so you're a piece of shit. Knuckles, wrist, wrist. That's how far he sticks his fist. <laughs> here's the church and here's the steeple. We have digits in our people. So that's the way, uh-huh, I like it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's the way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I like it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ding dong goes the bell. Afterwards, his finger smells. <laughs> Car goes fast. My mom meant to present was a finger blast. <laughs> Church and at the mall, we've been fingered at them all. 
Library. <laughs> Deli. <laughs> Aquarium. <laughs> Hero School. <laughs> hospital. <laughs> Children's Hospital. <laughs> Loser, whatever. Fly away forever. Sayonara, bye bye. You'll never be fingered if you try. U G L Y, your pussy smells like a fish fry. You ugly. <laughs> By my poos, I am thinking care of dog. Your puss is swampy like a bog. Ours is much more like a pasture. We say finger, you say faster. Finger, faster. Finger, faster. Finger, faster. Finger, faster. Fireball and peppermint shooter. Finger me until I neuter. No mind of a kind. Frederick Nietzsche, step inside the puss's peachy. So long, farewell, happy. Adieu, adieu, adieu. Our clits are black and blue. Half a dozen, even got fingered by your cousin. <laughs> say it louder, say it quiet. My pussy's on that finger diet. Crisscross. <laughs> Crisscross applesauce. Your pussy's trash because the Holocaust. But, but, Pizza Hut, you might as well just sew it shut. The Hotmong, the Hotmong, you to about just in general why of all the things that you could be doing why it's important to situate um the content that you create within comedy and and why it's mm -hmm. important to because you've referred to yourself a few times as a stand-up comedian and i think that that mm -hmm. um that has a very specific history and a connotation but i've really enjoyed the different types of people who are kind of claiming it now and doing different mm -hmm. approaches and so why is that something that's valuable for you instead of saying, let's say, you know, I'm a performance artist or something? Why, why right. comedian explicitly? Um, that's kind of, it's really important to me to be hyper accessible because we're doing, we're tackling such challenging material. And I don't mean that to like over inflate what my message or what I'm saying is it's challenging material because it's often violent, traumatic. It's always hyper grotesque. But the idea that it's funny means that it's universally accessible and everyone's having a good time and not taking themselves too seriously about it. 
Um, you know, especially when everyone's fucking depressed because this, the world is so fucking horrible. It's like, why don't we open up a space and someplace intimate like the hideout where we all can all get together as fully traumatized and horrified and fearful people um, and find like access points that we can all kind of, you know, I guess for lack of a better way to phrase it, like laugh about it together. Or like, you know, a lot of my shit is like, oh, look at the, you know, violent ways in which society engages with the female form. So this last sketch that I made, spoiler alert, is like, it's like an infomercial about, you know, the way, the rituals in which Western society removes female body hair is like brutal and barbaric and painful. So the sketch is like, instead of removing our body hair, why don't we just rip off all our skin? And then I do a sketch where I'm just covered in bloody raw meat <laughs> and my, you know, bare teeth and eyeballs are popping out of my muscly, sinewy face. Mm. Um, so hopefully that sketch is funny enough where everyone can become intimate with the subject matter and feel close enough with it to laugh at it because... Comedy is the great, you know, equalizer. Not, uh, not even. Uh, comedy is the thing that draws people in and forces them to get comfortable with material because they're laughing at it because they're like having a bodily reaction to it. Right, and I feel like even though what you're doing is subverting a lot of the things that are probably in mainstream comedy, that mm -hmm. by calling it comedy and situating it within that history, it does seem more invitational than calling something like a performance art night. Or something like that, which yeah. obviously is going to just, even if the show is free, it's just going to set up a bunch of hurdles in between you and various different audiences that you might hope to reach just by having it called that, even if, totally. even if that umbrella maybe better situates everybody or something by presenting it as comedy, it, it does give that access point, but it also gives people a certain expectation that it's, that it's okay to laugh. Um, yeah. I've been very... I've felt very bad multiple times that I've laughed during performance art that I thought was supposed to be funny. Right, that right. That clearly after the fact was not meant to was not meant to elicit laughter. And that was very right. that was very confusing and embarrassing for me for kind of like cracking up during something and then being like, Oh, this is this is quite serious. Yeah, and audiences shouldn't be punished like that. Yeah, yeah. You know? And that's kind of noise music is physically punishing mm -hmm. which is hilarious yeah. so why can't we all agree that it's hilarious yeah. and uh, you know spend a night where we're all laughing at each each other and ourselves and i think what makes me upset is that sometimes the comedy community in chicago or at large will think of hell trap as something that is inaccessible that's too alt mm -hmm. that's like a fucking tim and eric shit that nobody's gonna actually get except for like three alternative comedy bros you know whatever but we want it to be funny that we want anyone to like it because that's what you know brings a bunch of different people in a room together you know thinking about the same shit like well we did a show in this island in the middle of Lake Erie, that's it, like off, you take a ferry from Cleveland and it's this island for uh, Jimmy Buffett dads and like <laughs> Trumpy uh, boat guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm like all drunk, sunburned, 40-year-old white dads. Yeah, leathery. And like, what? Leathery. Le- oh, my. The, yeah, it was a leather daddy island. <laughs> um, but not the cool kind. We, not the cool kind <laughs> at all. We performed on standing on top of a bar at, uh, at a bar called the Fishbowl because uh, the conceit of the bar is that you drink blue cocktails out of straws shaped like sharks out of a f- actual fishbowl. So this is a place to get fucked up and like be MAGA. Whoa. And that's re- but we did. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that's really embarrassing. I just I used to be in a band called Shaped Like Sharks back when bands had animal names and you just said it out loud. And I'd never heard somebody say it outside the context of that. And it's like the dumbest phrase yeah you're literally you're literally trumpy you literally voted for trump we were super proto trump yeah this is like oh seven so like 10 years ago we were prescient (laughs) yo that was before like trump was even cool (laughs) (laughs) dude you uh i i'm wondering too if you have do you have any aspirations of moving the kind of comedy and the aesthetics that you're doing in hell trap into a more mainstream context or, or do you wish that the mainstream reflected those kind of methods of making or those topics a little bit more? Um, I mean, obviously you mentioned Tim and Eric and stuff before, and there's a bit of this kind yeah. of psycho stuff going on, but um, mm-hmm. would you be interested in that becoming more mainstream or do you kind of enjoy the fact that it's a little bit left of center? Um, hmm. That's interesting because ultimately anything that's in the mainstream is exploitative or violent or, you know, not inclusive and whatever the fuck. But wouldn't that be absolute utopic heaven if we all, you know, thought the Eric Andre show is the best show? Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be a better world? Um, I do like doing comedy for more mainstream audiences because I, I, I like bringing all the freaks together and encouraging, you know, maybe a normie in the audience to let their freak out too. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if this is speaking like delusionally grandiosely or whatever. I can't even, I'm freaking out on coffee, but <laughs> To think that we were on that island in Ohio, you know, and someone in a bar was like, I want to be a freak too, like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So the thing about DIY culture is, you know, it's, you have to stay underground or else you're going to get, you know, busted by the cops, right? Mm. I totally get it. But it becomes an inaccessible space for people who don't know about it. Um. And for us to bring kind of the spirit of that to, you know, a bigger venue like the hideout um, and get people into that sort of community is cool. Yeah. And I I think, I mean, maybe I'm not exactly sure what the scene in Chicago is like at large, but um, Mm -hmm. there's been a pretty significant shift uh, in the last several years uh, just living here in New York of what comedy looks like. And what yeah. a comedy night looks like and who who's writing it and things like that. And it's kind of turned into this thing where <clears throat> if a comedy night looks like the kind of thing that you would, you know, imagine at like the comedy cellar where it's just a bunch of guys and 
t-shirts talking about how much they hate women um, right people are pretty over it yeah you know it's it seems so kind of reductive and kind of like i mean for lack of a better term just like out of fashion right like, it seems just kind of weak and a little bit old and i'm i'm seeing this kind of shift where maybe um you know obviously the mainstream is always going to be a little bit less cool than what people are doing that's underground but it seems like maybe the mainstream is shifting slightly uh yeah it's so awesome to see people like jabuki and pa patty dude, harrison on late night jabuki talk shows is, jabuki's the king he's king. Like, Literal king. the funniest person on twitter without a doubt the funniest person on Twitter and encouraging because he's increasing the visibility of experimental comedy. I mean, he's a little more accessible than like someone chugging a bucket of pig guts on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, like, he's pretty like he's pretty like narrative observational comedy right. stuff, but he's he's not he's not like Bill Burr or something. He's Yeah, he's, he's got, not like talking about his wife's a bitch, yeah. you know. <laughs> He's got And it's amazing. Yeah. He... Like people are gonna see like fucking a sixteen year old who never even thought that they like had the courage to do you know, an interesting experimental piece of comedy or whatever is gonna be encouraged to do that and seek that out in their own terms and find their own community or whatever, because they'll know it exists or whatever. Or or to uh or to think that the observations that they have are valid to a larger audience. I, I think totally. that that maybe that's something that Jabuki's doing really well is demonstrating that this one like observational comedy. That's why everybody makes fun of observational comedies because it's always the same shit. And right. he's bringing a different perspective, and that'll hopefully ripple out where all of these different people feel like they can also bring in those perspectives and just make things a lot more entertaining and different. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God bless Jabuki. Honestly, God bless Jabuki. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it, well, sorry. I wasn't going to, but uh, oh, you again. Two, you two just both not. did, you did half hours together, right? Just yeah, a little bit ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, literally, he just ripped it. Yeah. He rips. Every time that I've seen um, Jabuki perform, it's just like the room can't deal with it. It's just, and he brings an amazing crowd yeah. of people who know him from Twitter, are excited to be there, are so supportive. There were like, you know, 21 year olds who had never been to a bar before there, like excited to laugh their ass off. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Amy Zimmer does this monthly called That Was Fantastic here. Oh, yeah, That I yeah. really love. And she did one that had um, Jabuki was performing and then my friend Darcy Wilder was reading. And they're both like massive Twitter celebs, and it yes, was. She has the uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> she's three, 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 four, three, three. Uh, but it was really cool to see this really young group of people in the audience who I don't think had ever been to a comedy show before, and so their mm -hmm. introduction to it was something that reflected their lived experiences and was welcoming and supportive and felt cool. And I think they probably left just like, oh my god, we got to go see more comedy instead of going into some East Village open mic night or something and just watching a bunch of dudes who look exactly like each other not laugh at one another and all tell the same jokes totally. which is totally. which is demoralizing to witness <laughs> right exactly <laughs> um i wanted to ask you too about because you do a lot of visual stuff outside of just the aesthetics for hell trap mm -hmm. nightmare um and i i never know how to describe what people do and i don't know if it's unfair to say that you're an illustrator is that okay 
that is ex- that is great. Okay, because I that's probably what I would say. Was a drawer, a drawer, a draft, yeah. a drafts Draw- person, <laughs> a drafts person. Um, and so there's this really linear relationship between what you draw and the way that your comedy kind of comes across live. And I'm curious if do you compartmentalize these two, or is it all just one big ball of like what Sarah does? I, this is my, my fear every single second of my life is that I'm a one trick pony and I only can do the same shit over and over, over again. It's like pussies, pubes, <laughs> butthole, intestine. And then someone recently was like, I was complaining about that. And they're like, uh, yeah, okay. That's not being a one trick pony. It's you have a point of view. And I was like, okay, okay, I got it. I had a teacher in college who told me that I was becoming a caricature of myself. Oh, I'm already, I've been there. Oh, I'm there. I'm literally a Coney Island caricature. Yeah, 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 for sure. I was mortified, but actually now I'm I'm okay with it. But at the time I was no, like, are perfect. you serious? But. Oh, my friend, um, my fuck. He said that, oh my God, who said this? I think my friend Drew Michael, who's a standup, he said that you know that you're doing good in comedy if someone can do an impression of you. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, that's really, yeah. <laughs> um, how did you, have you just been drawing your whole life or did you kind of pick that up when you started doing flyers for the show or? Um, I, I've been kind of drawing my whole life and you know, that's mostly how I really figured out uh, kind of what I was doing in the privacy of like a pen and paper interaction as opposed to like, you know, making embarrassment of myself on stage. Um, so I was drawing and shit while I was doing this like garbage, horrible improv. And then I was like, wait, why don't I just like, I clearly hate working with other people and I like being alone drawing intestines. Why don't I just like do stand up that looks like my drawings or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I had seen your drawings before I knew who they were by because I recognized when uh, Forever Dog put out Catherine Conan, Stephen Marcos, Turner Masters, oh, Memory yeah. Hospital. I saw the cover and I was like, I know that artwork. Like I knew oh, I'd seen it before. And then that's when I first got like, connected with your stuff was I connected all these dots all of a sudden I was like oh I've definitely seen those like I've seen these drawings and they don't look like anybody else's and so there was a I feel like someone could do an impression of your drawings but it would be very but it would be obvious that it was your drawings you know okay cool it's funny because I quit my job to do drawing full-time and you know biggest mistake I've ever made I make no money and secret is I can't draw anything else except intestines so believe it or not hard to find gigs I don't know I have a I have a friend who only drew bongs and skulls and all these things and was just ridiculed we went to graduate school together and he just got he just got ripped apart and now he makes like uh, a lot of money drawing skateboard art and working Who for Nike. It, by the way? Uh, on Instagram, he's the original Screedler at Screedler wow. Craig Wheat. Uh, if you're listening, he's an incredible drawer. Uh, drawer. But people are always like, "Why are you drawing dead cats with, like with LSD tabs on their tongue in school and stuff?" And he's probably the only one who I went to graduate school with who actually makes money. That's amazing. Well, see, and you, he wouldn't you stop described- doing it. <laughs> That's amazing. Because I, when you said that, I was thinking that guy Killer Acid and those dudes, like, they've all found a way to make fucking money. You just force people to pay you for the shit that you want to make. Yeah, he so did. Like, he he managed to, like, I think he had a couple 
rough years where people weren't taking it seriously and then all of a sudden like he had just done it for so long and been so good at it that people were just Mm -hmm. like oh this guy's really good he'd done a bunch of skateboard art and stuff like that but now he's now he's like a legit professional illustrator dude and does all of these things he's the guy who made he inadvent this is a really old meme which it's from like 2009 so it's probably that's like 150 years old in internet time but the hipster kitty meme was a drawing of his Yo. that was of our friend Allison Halter that he gave her for her birthday and scanned and put on his Tumblr. And then it turned into this image macro of like, you know, I liked the Chilean miners before they were underground. Like oh, just shit. horrible shit. <laughs> Wait, what's his name again? Craig Wheat. Craig. Yeah, he's on Instagram as Screedler, which is he made that word up. And that's what I call everybody who listens to this podcast is Screedlers because they're supposed to have a little name. But it's just like a. Like a Screedler is like, rocks. yeah, you know a Screedler when you see them. Like Steve Buscemi is a Screedler. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Hyper Screed. <laughs> Yo, that dude's Screed as hell. <laughs> He's got those Greed eyes. Yeah, those are definitely Screed eyes, without a doubt. Um, <laughs> I read in an interview that you did in August that you recommended... It asked you to recommend some things that people should look at, uh, and you oh, and you no. su- well, you suggested Jackass, and I was curious if you're a, oh. a, are you legitimately a fan? Yeah, so basically, I have a huge. I got a really long Jackass story for you. Yeah, lay it on me. Basically, I'm obsessed. I'm really just unhealthily obsessed with Jackass because I I actually just. Okay, I'll start from the beginning. So I wasn't big into Jackass when I was a kid, which is when people are, because I never thought it was, you know, I didn't think that was something for me. It was never pitched as like, you are welcome by Jackass. Girl, you know, in Jew from Long Island. (laughs) And I kind of got into it like uh, two or so years ago. And then after Trump got elected and all this fucking garbage comedy turned into like, isn't his hair, you know, isn't Trump's hair weird and his hands small? And everything was so fucking smarmy and fucking clever, you know, just bullshit, you know. Ugh. And so I like turned to jackass in that moment because I was like just desperate to see people like smashing themselves in the face with hammers on coiludes and shit like that. Um, and there's like, you know, my shit's grotesque. They're the definition of grotesque. Um, <laughs> I do gross things to my body that don't hurt. They do gross things to their body that actively hurt. Um, you know, and what's, what is, lit- I mean, your humor and the abject What's more abject than Dave England shitting upside down in the shit volcano. Yeah. Literally perfect. Yeah. What's funnier than poop? Nothing. So I kind of, I was binging on jackass, uh, right after the election and which is kind of interesting because, you know, they're homophobic, transphobic, whatever, but I kind of gave them credit <laughs> and was like, no, they're putting things in their butthole because they're exploring their own homophobia. And it's, they're like, it's really homoerotic. Yes. Like party incredibly boys. homoerotic incredibly like wild boys with yeah. Chris Pius. and Chris Pius is like my absolute favorite. Yeah. I think he's literally a genius. Um, but I was like, it's, it's homoerotic. I was, you know, I went all grad school on it. Yeah, I was like, yeah. it's homoerotic because they're demystifying yeah, the butthole and they're like exploring <laughs> what those mask like aggro relationships are. 
whatever, giving it way too much credit, getting overly obsessed with it because it was the only thing that was funny to me in that time of everyone being incredibly not funny. <laughs> um, then in my like episode of being obsessed, obsessed with Jackass, I find out that Jackass Live is coming to Chicago like that, like two days later. Uh-huh. So I hatched this like elaborate plan to get Chris Pontius. Also, it was like the B-level cast oh, of yeah, Jackass. Yeah. Right. So it was like Dave England, Chris Pontius, Wee Man, and Preston. So like, yeah, Steve, I was <laughs> like, I'm famous. Bye. I'm famous and I'm addicted to sex and I burn my arms on fire mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, see, now this is... Oh, my God. I'm... This is... I could talk about this for... This is embarrassing. Okay. So I'm like, okay. As a hell trap stunt, I'm going to get... I'm going to build these exploding boob apparatuses out of paper mache and fake blood with like painted nipples with nipple hair, everything. I'm going to build these exploding boobs that when you punch them, explode blood. (laughs) And I'm going to get Chris Pontius to do it at the meet and greet at Jackass Live. I'm going to get it all on tape. I'm going to do a Jackass stunt because I'm like queering the narrative of jackass this is a time where women get to be a part of jackass it's gonna be amazing they're gonna love me it's gonna be great the days before the show i like get i test it out in my bathroom i get my friend to punch me in the boob (laughs) and it exploded and it worked whatever cut to the show i show up with like six people at a box of exploding boobs Uh i'm like hey like what's up do you guys want to you know, I get people to get me on the list for the meet and greet without paying. I like emailed a bunch. Of, it was it was so embarrassing and so public. I involved so many people. I get there and they hate me. They think I'm a psycho from just like off the street psycho. Because obviously, and I'm sure they get approached by psychopaths all the time. Chris Pontius is like fucked up on Quaaludes. He like is horrified by me. They like literally wee man runs away from me. <laughs> Dave England wasn't there because he shat on stage uh, and hurt himself. And like fuck Preston is the meanest one of all. Wee man is actually so mean. I really I have assigned uh, I have assigned headshot of him. That, Get the fuck out. You know who gave it to me? Literally who? Craig Wheat. Okay, I'm literally in love with Craig Wheat. He got it from his wife, Olivia, is this amazing tattooer, um, Olivia Britz. And she was at a tattoo convention and Wee Man was at it. And she got me a signed headshot made out to me from him. She also got me one from, she and Craig got me one from Giorgio Sukalos from Ancient Aliens. Uh, okay, the guy so I'm with, in love. The guy with the hair. <laughs> wait but so they didn't punch the boobs well so i showed i mean we man i literally i had this all on tape and i did a performance piece about it obviously because i'm just a i just am a i'm an attention whore so you know i already (laughs) so i have this obviously had to turn this into a performance piece because it was such a fucking failure that i had to have something redeemable about it but yeah i showed up and they're like some crazy girl with like a a exploding boob i'm like punch me in the boob and like (laughs) chris i just have i have it on tape too of chris the love of my life being like i'm not gonna punch a girl in the tit man that isn't right and (laughs) he said some weird shit like my friend was like no sarah's really cool she does this thing where she brings a bag of her pubes on stage which is the worst thing to say to convince anyone to do anything (laughs) and then chris like was all fucked up on pills or whatever and he was like oh no he's like girls don't have pubes anymore man that's gross oh no 
Yeah, and they were just completely like this, the angry, dumbass dudes that you act that you know, unfortunately you think they are, they are. Wow. Yeah. And I gave them so much credit. That's why you never meet your idols. Never meet your idols. And they thought I would I mean, it's a little it was crazy of me to think that they didn't get approached by psychopaths all the time that are just like, yo, stab me in the heart or whatever. <laughs> I really just thought that they would be down, but that's their famous people or, you know, be less famous people who have other shit to do. And they were like, not nice to me and didn't want to do it. Anyway, cut to a week later, my nipple starts bleeding and I'm like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And I go to the hospital and they're like, you have breast cancer. And I was like, what? No. Turns out it was because when I practiced getting my tit punched, I just like broke some blood vessel. Oh my God. (laughs) So it was just all this trauma surrounding the incident of just like being rejected by my heroes, being let down by jackass. And then they're like, you have breast cancer. And then I'm like, and now I have a thousand dollar medical bill that I just like won't pay because I'm, you know, mortified that Chris Pontius wouldn't love me. Send him the Venmo him. Send him a Venmo request. You're like, die, bitch. I'll make a viral Twitter post that's like, drag him. <laughs> Do you want to know? Actually, what? Oh, Ron? I was going to say, I have a, uh, I have a jackass story. It's kind of, oh, that's, huh? that was also like anticlimactic and kind of sad. And it, yeah. it involves a, maybe even a C-list jackass cast member. Okay. Um, well, like five years ago, I did this performance piece that was called Ab Jackass. And it was, I was also, <laughs> I was also going very, as you said earlier, grad school on them. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. and I was sort of thinking, you know, there's this relationship between all of these uh, jackass stunts and all of these famous canonized works of performance art. Like, you know, wow, v- Vito Acconci was ripping his stomach hair out on like a little camera and like the jackass guys give each other waxes and like also thinking about this is like the movie 300. It's the most homophobic but yes. homoerotic thing I've ever seen. And, and yes. And, you know, oh, this is like uh, the, fr- you know, I saw Johnny Knoxville shoot himself in Big Brother magazine before I ever saw Chris Burden get shot in a gallery. And right, so all right. of these weird and I was like, you know, maybe not everybody's on the level, but Knoxville, he knows. Like, he knows the history of performance art. He knows right. all this stuff. It's very intentional, blah, 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 whatever. So I did this performance in Boston, and it was really fun, and my friend shot some nice video of it, and I got, like, thrown through a wall in a shopping cart and had my chest, <laughs> gave the audience, like, waxing strips and had them wax my whole chest and, like, just Incredible. really fun, silly stuff. And then um, this uh, lady that I knew in Portland who ran a tattoo shop was, like, Oh, you know, her, somebody that she knew had shown her the video and she was like, oh, you know, Danger Aaron lives here in, <gasps> in Portland. And I was like, yes. and I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, yeah. He like comes around. I know him. He comes to the shop or I don't know if he gets tattooed, whatever, crocodile. but she knew him and, uh, she was like, let me, let me send this to him. And I was like, of course, please. And then right. she forwarded me an email from him that was like, Hey, this seems really cool. I want to talk to this dude. And so we met at the Ace Hotel in downtown Portland when I was living there to get a drink. And he like came up on his motorcycle, you know, and I was just like, oh, God, this dude is so cool. And we had some drinks and I don't know, I think he was getting, I don't know if he was already twisted or what, but he he started being like, you know, I'm thinking about doing this tour. He's like, it's going to be like a danger errand and like, like basically what you described, um, but like a few different guys. We're going to go on this tour. Like we need an opener. 
like, could you do this every night? And I was like, I could go, I, I can't get my chest waxed every night because I don't have any chest hair, but I could rewrite stuff. And I was just so excited. And I was like, yeah, oh my God, this is incredible. And then we like went to some art opening afterwards because I was like, oh, I'm going to bring him to this because I'm telling him about, you know, my theories about performance art and jackass. And of course, he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But we went to it. And then I think he didn't have a good time at the art opening. And then all of a sudden, at some point, like he just ghosted. And I never heard from him again. (laughs) That would kill me. I would break my heart and kill me. I was mortified because I was like, I'm going to go on tour with jackass. Like, this is why I went to art school. (laughs) Yes. That is the ultimate why we why do I live and breathe to go on tour with Jackass. But yeah, I just saw that like a little bit before uh we got on the Skype today. I was just like, oh I gotta ask about this because I was wondering, I was like, is that a tongue in cheek reference or a serious reference or but like Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's um it's one of the I think one could still probably I haven't watched them in years, but I bet you could watch like the second Jackass movie and it would still be like a lol a minute. It's completely it's completely incredible. Well, that, Danger Aaron also did a pube beard. I think. Yeah, yeah. They gave him the pube beard um, and they oh, didn't they lock him in Jay Chandrasekhar's trunk? Or something like he was supposed sure. to. He was supposed to be. Well, it was also very Islamophobic. He was supposed to be a Middle Eastern terrorist. God, then, you know. See, that's the. I always forget yeah. that part. The yeah. last <laughs> inch, I always forget. <laughs> God damn. Well, Stevo does stand up now. Yeah. And I know a bunch of people have opened for him. And every time, I'm always like, "Please, for the love of God, get me that gig." Like, I don't beg for gigs, and I'm like, you know what? I need that. Mm-hmm. And every single one. I mean, there's only two people, but they're like, "Dude, you don't want it. You you don't want it." He hates women. Ooh. It's not what you think it is. The and I'm like, is prob- the audience is probably one of those ones that you might not be able to win over, regardless. Yeah, I would of get how- shot on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Martyred for feminism. That would Martyred be cool. You could become a saint. Saint Squirm. I would be a saint, and then I would shoot myself in the head as. A saint. <laughs> Well, it's funny because like during in the Jackass live show, they would like get girl. They were like trying to get girls to get on stage and take their tops off, and I was. I just want so badly to think that that's. Cool. I'm like, yeah, you liberate the the titty, and it's just not. It's I've done so many mental gymnastics to try to justify all of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Um, well. <laughs> You've got uh you've got a show. This is gonna come out on Sunday. Um and you've got a show next week with the Wham City Boys, is that correct? Yes. I love yeah, them. My my actual heroes that aren't bad people like Jackass. <laughs> They're very good boys. They're very good boys. The Wham City Boys seem like very good boys. I, I had uh when Humor in the Abject was a class years ago, uh my last guest of the I had two guests in my last class, and it was Liza Dye, who's a brilliant comedian that i love and uh alan resnick were the two people uh, and alan premiered unedited footage of a bear like oh. a few days before it came out so we all got a little treat to see that which was really special but that's amazing we also did the we screened the entire alan tutorial oeuvre like front to back oh, which is there's like, like 300 it was videos. like oh yeah it was over three hours long it was i thought <sighs> I thought I was going crazy in the middle of it. I, I don't think he was like, this is not meant to be watched front to back. And I was like, but there's an arc, Alan. 
There's and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's he was so like, funny. He like didn't really, like, he didn't want to intellectualize it. But I was like, Alan, it's like brilliant. He's, <laughs> I know. he's a good boy. Yeah, yeah, very good boy. It's funny. Like there is work that is so inspiring to me that it inspires me to be better. And it motivates me. And then there is work that is so in- unbelievably incredible that it makes me want to fucking kill myself and die. And that's <laughs> Ram City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just, I went to their, well, maybe they played new york since then but my friend lorelei ramirez was touring with them yes um, and she she did their show uh here in brooklyn and it was uh one of the best shows i've been to in so long. i mean just the it's just exciting to see three people that can play off each other like that that obviously yes. are, it's like watching siblings or something it's insane what's crazy to me about them is that they are seemingly video artists first uh-huh. and comedians second. So they are incredibly talented artists who happen to be incredibly funny and amazing performers. Yeah. And that is not fair. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone else who had to, you know, really learn how to do everything. Were you going to attack them or anything at the show? It's on the, yeah, eight, it's gonna... on the 18th, right? It's on the 18th. Everybody, please buy your tickets now. We it... need to sell it out. Two is shows. Is it a hideout? It's at the hideout, one at seven, one at 10 p.m. My parents will be at both. <laughs> oh, you have home field advantage, though. I got home field advantage. That's ben good. O'Brien, because I the poster says, like, Pelt Trap Nightmare X Wham City. Uh-huh. And he was like, it should be called Hell Trap Nightmare versus Wham City Fight to the Death. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that is very Hell Trap. <laughs> that is, yeah. Um, was there anything else coming up that people should be checking out? I mean, people need to follow you on Twitter and Instagram. Is that Are they both at Sarah Squirm? They're both at Sarah Squirm. Please follow me. <laughs> Check out the drawings and things. Uh, any other shows or anything? Or should people just go to your website and scope the dates? Well, you know... Every, yeah, I have a, you know, everybody please, for the love of God, come to Sarah Squirm Headlines at Empty Bottle on February 12th, please. Oh, yeah. Two days before that, Valentine's Day. Bring a Tinder two, date. Bring it, a Tinder date. It could break work up. out, and then you'll have somebody to hang out with two days later. That is true. And only hot people hang out at the Empty Bottles, so. Where's the Empty Bottle? Is that Chicago? Yeah, it's in Ukrainian Village. It's like a rock venue. Um, And I'm, you know, always just assume nobody's coming and everyone hates me. So everybody, please come. (laughs) And then Sarah is bringing Jennifer Vanilla to Chicago on February 20th. Yes. Oh, and this will. Yeah. So if you're listening, um, a little sneak preview, Uh, Jennifer Vanilla. Also, uh, given it, Christian name, Christian name, Christian name, Jew- Becca Jewish Kaufman, name. Christian name, Becca <laughs> Kaufman, uh, yeah. will be the next guest on Humor the Abject. That's amazing. Uh, so that's going to be coming up uh, the week after this one. Um, well, Sarah, thank you so much for spending Thanks some time with me today. This has been super fun. And everybody go on the 18th to Wham City versus oh sorry Helltrap Nightmare yeah. versus Wham City let's put fight them second the out of town boys uh, <laughs> fight to the death um, and to everybody else thank you for listening uh, see you next week
Oh, oh, oh. 